If you love the History Extra podcast, make sure you follow us to keep up to date and get all the latest episodes. Thanks for your support, and I do hope you enjoy this episode. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For me, the first word that comes to mind is terror. It was this huge event that changed everybody's lives. Um, people were losing people that they loved, losing the whole families were dying. The largest human disease catastrophe in, in history. It affected everyone. And so we have a sense of something that really made the world stand still. It disrupted every aspect of life. And it also was pretty dramatic. Horrible things like worms uh, with eight legs that drop from heaven and kill by their and uh, black snows that uh, melt mountains. This massive disease, the pestilence of death, it did so dramatically change the demographic structure, the infrastructure, the course of national identity. It changed everything. Leaving these poor people to die and locking the doors with, uh, and, uh, and just not coming back, not even leaving them a glass of water. Made people ask lots of questions about their lives and about the world around them and had a major long-lasting effect as well. In the late 1340s, people in cities, towns and villages across Europe and beyond began to fall ill from a mysterious pestilence. Many of these victims were horrified to discover putrid black buboes in their groins, necks and armpits. Within six or seven days of infection, they were either beginning to recover or were ready for burial. Others developed chest pains and breathing difficulties. 
Anyone suffering from these symptoms faced certain death. And this terrifying disease was relentless in its spread. As one English chronicler recalled, the pestilence grew so strong that men and women dropped dead while walking in the streets. And in innumerable households and many villages, not one person was left alive. There were hardly enough people alive to bury the dead, or enough burial grounds to hold them. Hello and welcome to this new History Extra podcast series, The Black Death. I'm Ellie Cawthorn and this is episode one. In this series, we're going to be taking a look at one of the key moments of the Middle Ages, when a deadly pandemic swept the globe and drastically altered the face of medieval societies for good. Across the episodes, I'll be speaking to leading experts to get the lowdown on the causes and spread of the terrifying pestilence that became known as the Black Death, exploring its devastating impact on societies across Europe and beyond, and revealing how its impact was felt down the centuries massive disease that occurs very, very quickly, much quicker than COVID. I think today we'd collapse almost overnight. To introduce us to some of the main themes that we'll be tackling in the series, for this episode, I spoke to John Hatcher, Emeritus Professor of History at the University of Cambridge. John is also the author of The Black Death and Intimate History. And as he told me, it's a particularly interesting time to be a historian of the Black Death. Because as we're all far too well aware, world-changing pandemics have been on the agenda recently like never before. What we see with, with COVID, and we've had it before with, with SARS and Ebola, swine fever. Because of modern science, most of the diseases are understood. So you can fear them, but you know what they are. You know how they're going to behave. And in the Middle Ages, they hadn't seen it before. The unpredictability of it, and therefore wild speculations. For those who lived through the Black Death, these really did feel like unprecedented times. As the Italian writer Boccaccio recalled, So marvellous sounds that which I now have to relate, that had not many, and I among them, observed it with their own eyes, I had hardly dared to credit it. A dead man was then of no more account than a dead goat would be today. Not only was the disease itself terrifying, but its scale and spread even more so. With little medical knowledge to effectively prevent transmission, the disease spread with a formidable rapidity. It doesn't stay longer than about two and a half months, three months. And in that space of time, it kills 40%, perhaps 50%, some places 60%, 70% of the population. But then I think the speed of it, people didn't have that much time. They had to carry on attempting to grow their food and till their fields. They obviously fear it. It's, It's horrific. So before we go any further, what exactly was this horrific disease? So far, we've called it the Black Death, and we've even called our series that. But I should say at this point that Black Death is actually a later coinage. Back in the 1340s, the people who experienced this pandemic referred to it instead more generally as the pestilence or plague. The Black Death is bubonic plague. Bubonic plague is caused by a microorganism of Yersinia pestis, which is a bacillus. It's a bacterium. It's carried by mammals, 
It's basically a, a disease of, of small mammals, black rats, gerbils, ptarmigans, ground squirrels in California, as I found when I was there and saw notices on the trees saying, beware of bubonic plague. <laughs> and the disease is passed to humans. The conventional explanation, the one which is the most verified transmission of plague, is the fleas on the back of a black rat would eventually kill the rat they would then abandon the rat and jump onto a nearby host who wouldn't be their first choice, and that would be a human. This issue of how plague transmitted from small mammals to humans is a complex one, and it's subject to much debate, which is something that we'll be looking at in the second episode of this series. But for the moment, let's focus on what actually happened when someone contracted Yersinia pestis. It didn't take very long for distinctive symptoms to appear in the victim's armpit, neck and groin. From the first signs that they they know something is wrong, they start feeling a bit ill. It'll be within, within five days, six days, they'll be dead. There's an incubation period before that, but that's measured in days rather than weeks. The initial symptoms are pretty generalised, headache, a bit of a fever, and then it's the diagnosis of the the buboes, the swelling in the, the lymph glands, which turn into very, very painful swellings. And it's the lymph glands become the centre of the infection, so they, they react against the infection and very, very distinctive. It's possibly the only disease in existence which produces these buboes. After the appearance of buboes, the progression of the disease was relentless. Unsurprisingly, the chances of survival were slim. People die from the the consequences as the disease spreads through the the body and hits the vital organs. It's intensely painful and people just become hysterical with the pain. And so a lot of these contemporary descriptions show how horrendous the disease is as well as the fact that it's killing people. It's killing them in a a really horrifying way, a very visible way, I think, of, of, of people able to observe the symptoms in somebody else. Nowadays, antibiotics work very well. At the time, there's no effective treatment, so two-thirds of people who get bubonic plague die from it, uh, but a third recover. Those death rates may sound horrendous, but it's important to mention at this point that bubonic plague wasn't the only form of Yersinia pestis at play in the pandemic, and it wasn't even the most deadly. There are two other variants. One is pneumonic plague, where the plague gets into the lungs, and it can then be spread by droplet infection in the way that viruses are spread. The other variant of it is, for various reasons, in a victim the blood becomes the main source of the infection and that's septicemic plague and that leads to people dying very suddenly and it's 100% uh, fatal. Faced with a high probability of a ghastly, painful death, people across the medieval world looked desperately for answers 
and came up with their own explanations for what was to blame. It was interpreted at the time, not just by the church, but it made a lot of sense that the plague was a punishment, a punishment for sin. As England's Edward III reportedly told his bishops in 1349... By afflicting them with pestilence, God was, quote, showing harshness to his people so that they, in fear and penitence, might call upon his name more humbly. But even in an immensely religious world, people struggled to make sense of the fact that God had allowed them to suffer in this way. You get a lot of sermons written at the time, very famous writer of sermons, who said how his life was made very difficult by people questioning him on the will of God. You know, why are young children being killed? Why is is God killing the innocent and letting the, the guilty go free? And some offered up more unexpected explanations for what might be to blame. Licentious young women following their heroes around at tournaments and behaving in the most outrageous way. (laughs) People dressing in the new fashion, which is unacceptable to God. But I think that's a sort of undercurrent. As a monk from Westminster Abbey reported... The English have been madly following outlandish ways, changing their grotesque fashions of clothing yearly. The sin of pride manifested in this way must surely bring down misfortune in the future. Blaming decadent fashion choices for a global pandemic might seem a bit strange to us today. But as John told me, we can see it as part of a bigger pattern of people searching for meaning in an uncertain, terrifying world. They had enormous problems explaining why. I mean, it's just impossible to explain that, isn't it? Some the scale of the death mm. and destruction. We don't always realise just how much our negative thoughts and experiences stick with us and weigh us down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mum does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest, whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger. Talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapists anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash history extra today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash history extra. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And as we'll see throughout the series... The looming threat of disease threw medieval people into psychological and spiritual turmoil. Death kills people, 
without much warning. It's unpredictable. You die with the weight of sin on your on your shoulders, as people did in the Black Death, because the priests were overwhelmed. Even mm. the most assiduous priests couldn't go and uh, perform the last rites on everybody who was dying. You should avoid sin because you might not have time to confess your sins, so you need to lead a good life because you'll be picked off at any moment. You, you can't predict when death will come. In 1350, the writer Petrarch asked, What are we to do now, brother? Now that we have lost almost everything and found no rest. Our former hopes are buried with our friends. The year 1480 left us lonely and bereft. Last losses are beyond recovery and death's wound beyond cure. In many ways, making a series about the Black Death is a bit like trying to hit a moving target. Because one of the most interesting things about the subject is that while it may have happened more than six and a half centuries ago, the matter is far from settled. In fact, historians have been disagreeing about the Black Death and how important it was ever since. It's quite fascinating with assessments of the impact of the Black Death, which are the most Mm. violent swings. Uh, Mm. The late 19th century, the view was the Black Death led to the transformation of society, decline of serfdom, collapse of feudalism. 20th century, the 1920s, 30s, 40s, 50s, great reaction against that. In the 1920s, it was a very famous historian in Eileen Power, and she wrote in 1918, pouring scorn on people who believe the Black Death changed things very much. She said all it did was give it a small push along the direction it was already going in. Don't worry. In this series, we're not going to be subscribing to the idea that the Black Death didn't really matter all that much. And nowadays, you'd struggle to find many historians who'd back that idea either. Because in the decades since, the pendulum has swung once more. The last few Decades, last couple of decades, been a series of major shifts occurring amongst sections of the historical profession, giving great weight to the Black Death. The fact that (laughs) when you step back, yes, the death of half the population may actually have had a big impact on what was happening. This was resisted. The Black Death is a dirty great hammer coming from outside and whacking society. To understand how much of an impact this dirty great hammer really had on society, later in this series, we'll be taking an in-depth look at how it transformed the lives of medieval people, shaking the entire structure of the societies they lived in. Well, the importance of the Black Death or population dropping by half is the immediate effects it has on everyday life, your relationship with your Lord. You see holdings vacant, you hear stories of workers being paid twice as much as you're receiving. Very fertile holdings a few miles away are vacant because there's nobody to fill them. This brings an immediacy, I think, to the potential for change. I'm a great believer in the Black Death having a tremendous impact on the way in which society develops because the world is turned upside down. Lords can no longer get anybody to till their fields without paying excessive 
rates to them. People are demanding freedom. The whole balance has changed in favour of ordinary people against the landlords. And while these violent swings in understandings of the Black Death may have settled down a bit, historians are far from finished on this. The debates aren't over yet. And in fact, this fast-moving field has been radically transformed in just the last decade. Whole explanation of how the bubonic plague spreads is is under review because how does it kill that number of people? How does it spread to Iceland, to Russia, to China, to the Mediterranean, even now sub-Saharan Africa? Great disagreement nowadays about exactly how the disease can spread and the reconstruction mm. of the genomes. It's it's all up in the air. There's a tremendous amount being written. It's Masses and masses of articles being written. And this cutting-edge new research is exactly what we'll be delving into next episode. Join us then when I'll be speaking to the historian of medicine, Monica Green, about what the latest developments in science, archaeology and historical research can tell us about the emergence and spread of the disease and how everything we think we know about the Black Death may in fact be wrong. Thanks for listening. This podcast was produced by Jack Bateman. Additional checks by Rob Blackmore.